was my first opportunity as a pastor to go through the journey of Palm Sunday with a congregation. And I had my robe, and I had my degree, and my head was full of all kinds of knowledge. And I was serving as an associate pastor at the First Presbyterian Church of Houston. This is a special church to me and my family because of the 50-year heritage. My grandparents attended this church for half a century. My parents met in the singles ministry of that church. I was baptized in that church, and I was ordained in that same congregation. And so it was incredible to graduate from seminary and in essence, to come back home. I was working for Pastor Vic Pence, the beloved former pastor of this congregation. I was working with and for him. And as you well know from your history at Peachtree, if you've been here for more than a couple of years, Vic had a strong fondness and affinity towards live animals in the sanctuary for special occasions. And so it didn't matter whether it was the camel at Christmas Eve or whether it was the donkey on Palm Sunday, there was nothing like having a live animal in the sanctuary, not just for the children, but for the little kid in all of us and the ability to connect to each and every one of those biblical stories. And so the tradition that they had at First Press Houston, and they had been doing this for 11 years with the same donkey and with the same company, is that they would have the donkey come down the center aisle and the children would process behind the donkey and they would wave their palm branches and they would sing the song, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And they would look around and they'd look for their mom and they'd look for their dad and they would look all over the place to see what was going on. The only place that they weren't looking was where they were stepping which normally wouldn't be a problem because for 11 years with the same donkey, the same fasting program, the same protocols, they had never had an issue. But on this particular Sunday, the donkey went to the bathroom, number two, right there in the aisle. And the challenge was not just that that happened, but that none of the children were paying attention enough to notice that it was happening. I want to show you a picture of what the inside of the First Presbyterian Church of Houston looks like. You'll notice that the front of that congregation, the primary image is that of white, white marble. And so all the children are marching down the aisle. They're not noticing where they're stepping and they step in it and they keep marching all the way to the front steps and they're standing before the congregation and they're waving their palm branches and they're singing. And then all of a sudden, one of the boys, you could just see him from the side, he just started smelling and looking around and looking down and noticed what was happening at his feet and he screamed and he dropped his palm branch and everybody else screamed and everybody scattered. The anthem was over. Vic's looking at me, I'm looking at Vic, we're looking at the organist and the organist just starts to play the opening hymn. I wish that hymn was created me a clean heart, oh God, but that's not what we played. It was some Palm Sunday traditional hymn. And so I look back at Vic, and Vic looks at me because there's all of these different footprints all over the front marble of the church. And Vic is staring at me. He's nudging at me to do something. I'm sitting there thinking, you want me to do something about this? And so I get up, and I go back to the little pastor's bathroom that's kind of tucked behind the sanctuary, and I grab a roll of paper towels. Those were actually inexpensive in those days, unlike today. And I grabbed a roll of paper towels, and during the opening hymn, I've hiked up my robe, and I am wiping down the front steps of the First Presbyterian Church of Houston while we're singing. And then there came this moment when the hymn was over, and it was my turn to segue 
to the prayer of confession. And Vic starts staring at me because he knows my sense of humor. And he's looking at me and he's looking at me with these glaring eyes that says, don't you dare. And so I look at the congregation just as I look at you and I say, you know, some days you're going to walk through life and you're going to step in it. And that's why you need the cleansing power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so let us confess together. The congregation lost it and Vic hung his head in embarrassment When the service was over, we were all laughing at what had happened and how they had pulled up the runner to save the carpet and how we had to clean the front steps of the church. And in between the service, I'm laughing and I look at Vic and I say, you know what? This was not in my job description. And Vic looked at me and he said, I think you need to go back and read your New Testament because this is for sure in your job description. I don't know about you, but... Of late, I was reminded of that story, not just because it's Palm Sunday, but also reminded of the fact that life is messier, life is more complicated, life is more unexpected than you can possibly imagine. And I'll bet that you might be thinking to yourself what you're going through right now. This isn't in my job description. This whole homeschooling thing. This is not in my job description. That's true for both the students and the parents who are listening to this. You might be also thinking to yourself, this, what's going on at work right now? That's not in my job description. I can't do that. I don't know how to lead a team virtually. I don't know how to keep our stores open when nobody can attend to them. That's not in my job description. You might also be thinking to yourself whether... It's a layoff or something else that you're experiencing in the tragedy of the economic loss. This isn't in my job description. Or maybe you're having to care for somebody who's sick right now and you're thinking, this is not in my job description. I don't know what it is, but I'm here to tell you that life is messier. It is more complicated. It is more unexpected than we possibly dreamed. And just as I discovered that my robe and my degrees and all of the knowledge that filled my head at that time, none of that mattered. Because the one thing that was needed of me in that moment was to get down on my knees and to do something that the community needed. There's a story in the Bible of a mother whose sons have been in seminary Jesus. James and John have been following around Jesus for three years. That's about long enough for a seminary education. And as they're following Jesus around, they get to the point where This mother, who is the original helicopter parent, this is the kind of mother who probably would have been one of those parents like the one in California that tried to buy their way, their kid's way into a university. And so this mother comes up to Jesus and has the audacity to say, you know what, Jesus, I think we've seen enough of my boys and what they're capable of. And I think one of them, when you go to your throne as king, ought to sit on your right and one on your left. She certainly can't be faulted as a mother of wanting the best for her boys and having a certain blindness to how much we love to care for our children. But Jesus paused and said to all of them, would you like to know what is in my job description? He says in Matthew 20, 28, for the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to offer to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' job description, 
It is to serve and to give. To serve and to give. And if you want to be his follower, this is going to be your job description and mine as well. You know, at Palm Sunday, we get to see the juxtaposition of this in its fullness because where this passage of the mother coming in and asking for this and Jesus giving his job description is what happens in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 20, right before the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem of Palm Sunday. This is the setup for Jesus demonstrating to us what his life was going to be like. And his ministry was going to be defined not by lording it over people, but by coming underneath them to serve them. Jesus enters into Jerusalem, not like Judas Maccabeus did 200 years before when they came in and kicked out the foreign occupiers. No, Jesus came in with the same fervor, the same energy, the same anticipation of the crowds, but he did not ride in on a war horse. No, he rode in on a donkey. Think of the contrast between a horse and a donkey. A donkey is a humble creature. It's a, it's a beast of burden. It's a working animal. It's not for show. It's not for war. Jesus came to serve. But it's not only the juxtaposition in chapter 20 and 21. In John's gospel, we see the triumphal entry of Jesus in chapter 12. And chapter 13 is what happens next, right after the triumphal entry, is Jesus doing something even more shocking. He's with the disciples and he removes his robe, puts a towel around his waist and he does the lowest of the possible lowest jobs, the most menial and dirtiest of tasks when he washes the feet of the disciples. The disciples were looking at one another thinking no one should have to do this that's a master but a servant and yet each one of them had the mentality, not in my job description, not in my job description, not in my job description. And so Jesus demonstrated for them what service was going to be like to wash the feet of others. Some of you have heard me tell the story of the woman and her husband for whom our oldest daughter Danica is named, Danica and Brian D'Onofrio. My wife Kelly was pregnant with our daughter. We did not know her name at that time, but she was eight and a half months pregnant right before um, she was to be born. Kelly's best friend, Danica, from college, from the University of Virginia, was getting married. And we got the green light from the doctor to drive from the New York metro area down to the Baltimore area in order to be there in the wedding. And Kelly was a part of the wedding party. There was the most shocking thing that I had ever seen at a wedding in this service. You see, Brian and Danica came from two different parts of the family tree of Christianity, both Catholicism and the Episcopalian tradition. And in both of those traditions, they, they elevate the table, uh, communion as the pinnacle of worship. And yet because of the differences and the fractures and the different understandings of theology, the one thing that they couldn't do together with integrity in worship if they were going to adhere to what their church's teachings were is they couldn't each share the table and worship together. They so desperately wanted in their wedding to share communion together, but they just couldn't figure out a way to do it. And then they realized that on that Last Supper Eve... 
the other thing besides sharing the cup that they did was that the two of them realized that Jesus also took the basin and the towel to wash their feet. And so Brian and Danica D'Onofrio in a wedding, never seen it done before, decided to, in the middle of their wedding, to get down on knees, to sit on a chair and to remove your shoes and to take on the humblest of acts. You know, the goal of serving is not to fill the other person. The goal of serving is to empty yourself. Jesus, it is said of him, that he emptied himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so my question for you is, in your job description right now, that's changing by the day, is there someone you need to serve? Maybe in your marriage right now, you need to serve your spouse in a way that you've never done before to take on a role or a task. Maybe you need to serve your children. Maybe there's a neighbor that you can serve right now. Maybe there's a member of our broader community that's a grand adult that can't leave their home. Maybe you could help to serve them. What I do know is that we have this incredible tendency to withdraw when Jesus is calling us, yes, social distancing, but not social isolation. He wants us to serve the people that you're with, the people that you say you care for and love the most. And most of all, he wants us to serve our community no matter what. And so find a safe way to serve as we go through this crisis. It may take incredible humility as well as creativity. But I think we're called to roll up our sleeves just as Jesus did in that moment. This is the core of his job description, not to be served, but to serve. The other part of his job description, though, is not just to serve, it's also to give. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus says, more specifically, to give his life as a ransom, a payment for many. A ransom was something that was given in order to save someone else. This was not known as Palm Sunday to the original experiences of those who were there on that first Palm Sunday. In fact, one of the things that's interesting in the Gospel of John is that the Gospel of John says that Jesus has an obsession with timing. Throughout the Gospel of John, in the first 11 chapters, he says multiple times, my time is not at hand, my time has not come, my time is not at hand, it is not my hour. Over and over again, he says those types of things. And then in chapter 12, when the triumphal entry happens, Jesus now says, at last, my time has come. Why was it that this moment in time was so special? Well, again, this was not Palm Sunday. This was known as Passover. And what happens at the beginning of the Passover festival, five days before the Passover meal is to take place, this was a special day. This was right after the previous Sabbath. It was known as Lamb Selection Sunday. This was the day by which you chose the lamb that was to serve as the Passover sacrifice so through the blood of that lamb that people might be freed. 
John chapter 1, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This Lamb had come to give His life so that we might be saved. Pastor Tim Keller tells the story of a time when there was a park ranger And he found this story in the National Geographic. A park ranger had come through an area of Yellowstone National Park where a forest fire had ravaged through the area. And the park ranger was walking through the charred remains of the trees and the ground and the brush. And as the park ranger was walking along, he noticed that there was this bird that was nestled up against a tree that was petrified and carbonized from the fire and that the park ranger noticed how eerie it was how lifelike the bird was even though it had been burned to a crisp in an effort to try to be respectful he took his walking stick and he tried to lay the bird on her side and what he discovered shockingly was that underneath the bird were three little chicks that had been saved because the mother was willing to be steadfast through the fire. The mother was willing to offer her life in exchange for another. She was giving her life as a ransom for her chicks. Jesus not only came to serve, he He came to save, and so the crowds knew this in anticipation. They were chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us, save us, save us. We know deep down inside, but especially now as we go through this, we know that we need to be saved. What we're going through right now is seemingly so unprecedented. And the sheer act of of us even thinking about gathering for communion, but doing so in a way that's like this, where I'm disconnected from you and we're not gathered at one actual table in our sanctuary. You know, what's interesting is that there are other places that have to do this all the time. I want to show you a picture of a dear friend of this congregation. This is Sasan Tavsoli. And Sasan has been to Peachtree multiple times and has been a long-standing ministry partner of this church. Sasan grew up in Iran, and when he was a teenager, it was at the height of the Iran-Iraq War. His parents wanted to save him from this unnecessary and bloody conflict, and so before he could be enlisted into the draft, they sent him overseas for an education. The school that they intended to send him to was full, and so he had to go to a different school, and this school was in Portugal, and it was a Christian school. And for the first time in his life, Sasan heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he was moved to follow Jesus and to put his obedience and his loyalty to him as the one true king and God. Sasan knew the cost of this decision, that he would be shamed, cast out, that his family would be shunned and embarrassed, 
but he could not hide from the grace that he had experienced. And Sasan came to the United States and he pursued a master's degree and, a, and another master's degree and eventually went to England and got his doctorate. And the more he grew in wisdom and in knowledge and position, he didn't use that position to distance himself from his people because he gave his life's passion to sharing and equipping the gospel to the church in Iran. And the way that he did this was by training indigenous leaders. He would meet them in places like Dubai and Turkey, and then eventually that became too dangerous for them and for him. And, and so Sasan started a media channel where he equips house church leaders on how to lead worship. And from a studio, he connects to them to be able to empower them to lead worship together. What we're about to do in communion is highly unusual for us. This is what Sasan and many Christians, particularly the women who are often the church leaders of those house Iranian churches, this is what they do every single week. I want to show you a short video clip of his training of them. این است بدن من برای شما این را به یاد من به جای آورید این است بدن من برای شما بدن مسیح برای شما خداوند هستی در نام عیسی مسیح با شکر گذاری آمین با هم دیگه از نون میخوریم و خداوند رو با شکر گذاری میپذیریم به نام عیسی مسیح آمین There is nothing that is beneath Jesus' job description. He came to serve and to give, to serve and to save. And he invites us to participate in his death and his sufferings and to do so as we gather around the table. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't think that serving you is beneath his job description? That he was obedient all the way to the point of death, even death on the cross. He offers his life for you and for me, and he calls us through this table to offer our lives in service to others.